How are you out there? Amen. I think I'm pretty good. Ask my wife. She'll, she'll give you a better indication. She said, she said I'm no good. Ephesians, we're studying through the first four chapters. We're in chapter four. We're going to look at verses four through six tonight. <coughs> Excuse me. So much good stuff in here. We've been really enjoying taking our time in Matthew 12 on Sunday and taking our time with Ephesians here, just kind of wringing every drop of juice out. Amen? So I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 tonight. We covered verses 1 through 3 last time. We did get snowed out in the middle. How, how was that? Everybody, a snow day on a Wednesday? That was weird. Weird. But thank God the sun is shining today. Let's thank God for the word, and I'm going to jump in. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. We're going to focus in on verses 4 through 6 tonight, so if you fall asleep during verses 1 through 3, wake up at verse 4. Father, we just thank you tonight for the word. We thank you that we can come in the middle of the week. It's not snowing. We can get together as brothers and sisters and worship you in this place. Father, I thank you for the time that we are able to spend in your presence tonight I pray that it was refreshing to us, Lord God, to allow you to draw us in and just wipe away the, the things of the day that try to attach them to us, the, the weariness and the heaviness and the tiredness of life, Lord God. Refresh us and allow our minds to be alert right now and our hearts to be open and our spirits to be ready to drink in truth from your Holy Spirit tonight. Father, we pray that you'd make this passage come to life for us tonight that it would change us from the inside out. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And the church said, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, walk in a manner worthy. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Powerful this morning. Uh, this morning. I can tell when I woke up. Let's, let's just bow our heads and let me read to you verses 4 through 6, and just let that get into your spirit tonight. There is one body and one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's enjoy that tonight. So we're encouraged here in the first part of chapter 4, and we covered this in another session. If you didn't hear it, Get to listen to it, get it online, get it in you. We're encouraged to walk worthy of our calling. You know, we've been bought with a price, amen? Our sin demanded that we face judgment, and we had no remedy for it, so hell was our eternal destination. But God stepped in. But Jesus died on the cross. But the grave couldn't hold him, and he rose again, amen? If none of that is true, you and I are lost. I'm going home. I don't want to do this anymore. Because if Jesus didn't die and rise again, then we're still lost in our sins, and we're just playing pretend tonight. 
but he's risen. He's alive. So he says, because you've been bought with a price, and you know, it was an expensive price, the blood of Jesus, God's very best he gave for us, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Us to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life and to apply diligence and discipline to our lives. We are called to be disciples. We're not just called to be fans of Jesus or to be, you know, followers from afar. We're called to roll up our sleeves, to leave our past behind, to grab a hold of the plow and to follow Jesus and not even to look back. So, you know, we've been bought with a price. We're to, we're to walk worthy. We're to be diligent. We're to, you know, be disciples. Uh, in the text we're going to cover tonight, Verses four through six, we're going to see seven ones that are strung together. Notice one body, one spirit, one hope, seven of them strung together in a row to give us the, the overwhelming sense that we have a lot in common as the body of Christ. These ones that I'm going to cover, all seven of them, are going to suggest to us that we have a lot in common that connects us together that should produce a unity within us, Amen. We're connected by Jesus, and we're connected by these ones. And as we look at them, they should galvanize our sense of unity within the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Amen. We are the church of Jesus Christ. He's the head. So let's take a look here. Verse 4 starts off where it says, there is one body. Stop. Let's see what that's all about. The body of Christ is one. Now, I'm making a statement. It's a true statement. All of us that are part of the body of Christ are one. There's one part. We're going to talk about divisions in a minute. But how many understand the reality is that there are a lot of fragmentations in the body of Christ? There's a lot of division. Unless, you know, you've been saved 15 minutes ago, there's a lot of different splits and divisions and denominations in the church. And some of it's okay, and some of it's not okay, and some of it you know, has fragmented us to the point where we're ineffective. Why? Because the body can't function. When the, when the head says to the leg, move, and the leg says no, and, the, and you know, the arms, won't, their, the arms are busy fighting with each other. Come on. Ever seen churches? Ever seen Christians fighting with each other? Holding each other back? We're a body, and we're one. But the body is fragmented in a lot of ways, and that is the work of the enemy. The body of Christ is not made up of factions, theological camps, denominations, or ethnic divisions. The body of Christ is one. There's not going to be a Pentecostal section in heaven. There's not going to be a Baptist section in heaven. There's not going to be one spot where they put all the Italians. Oh, they're so loud. No, there's, those divisions don't exist in the body of Christ. Those are man-made things. Those are flesh things. Those are sin things. But the body of Christ is one. So that's why Paul wants to drive home this point in Ephesians here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Realize, when I say so-and-so is writing the book, James is, Peter is, Paul is, it's not James, it's not Peter, it's Paul. It's the Holy Spirit. All of Scripture is inspired by God. It's not just a collection of opinions from a bunch of different men. I've heard so many people criticize the scripture. Well, it's this and it's that. It's just the opinions of this. And it was written long ago and it's misogynistic and blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah? I dare you to apply it to your life and see if your life doesn't change. 
if it's just a book, if it's just a collection of stories, if it's just a bunch of opinions, I dare you to apply it to your life and see if your life doesn't change. No book will do that. This is the living, breathing revelation of Jesus Christ from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. It's all the word of God. So there's a oneness in the body that needs to be uh, captured, and we need to do it by driving out the flesh and driving out the divisions and forgetting about racial divisions and economic divisions and cultural divisions and, you know, uh, people uh, in different nations. You know, there's national divisions. The, the, you know, the church of, uh, you know, right now our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine are suffering. I don't know if a lot of you know this, but there's a lot of evangelical churches in Ukraine. There's a lot of believers in Ukraine. There are brothers and sisters. It's not like, oh, well, the Ukrainian church is in trouble. No, the body of Christ is in trouble. It's being attacked. We need to be on our knees praying. And so the divisions we see are not from God. And that's why Paul is making the point here, you know, there is one body. What makes a person part of the church is that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We know that, right? So that's the only thing for membership. You don't have to have, you know, a theological degree. You don't have to believe this and that. You don't have to have the same eschatological view. You just have to believe in Jesus. Only one genuine relationship gets you in, and that's one with Jesus. So how's your relationship with Jesus tonight? I'm hearing some goods. I'm hearing a great. I'm hearing mumbling. How is it? Good, work on it, cultivate it. It's the most important thing in your life. He's your ticket to heaven. He's your ticket to the, the membership in the body. He's the ticket to your eternity. Now, only a genuine relationship with Jesus will get you in. You know, even in the early church, the early churches were foolish and believers wanted to find reasons to divide themselves into camps. And this happened almost immediately in the church. You think Jesus died, he rose again, he, his apostles go out there, they're in the upper room, the Holy Ghost falls, they begin to preach the gospel, boom, 3,000 people are saved. You got a mega church right out of the box. Now the church is being planted and Paul's planting churches among the Gentile nations and you have all these little churches popping up and what's the first thing, almost the first thing they want to do is divide themselves. And they actually try to divide themselves into camps according to who led them into the kingdom. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1, 12 through 15. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am with Paul, or I am with Apollos, or I am with Cephas, that's Peter, or I am with Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I am thankful that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. What's Paul doing to the Corinthians? He's rebuking them, why? because they're trying to divide themselves up into camps. Oh, I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollos, I'm with Peter. Do you see how division is just a natural outworking of the flesh? There's one body, there's one body. There is one body. Let's stop trying to fragment it. Let's stop trying to divide it. If you love Jesus and you're born again and your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're part of the one body. Number two, there's one spirit. The one spirit mentioned here, of course, none other than the precious Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The fact that every born-again believer is filled with the Holy Spirit living inside them is one of the most powerful factors that galvanize us and make us one. Do you realize the same Spirit in me is the same Spirit in you? The same Jesus in me is the same Jesus in you? I don't have the American Jesus and you, she has the Canadian Jesus and we got different Jesuses. No, there's one spirit, there's one Jesus, there's one, and, and the fact that there's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us galvanizes us together as the body of Christ. Did you ever meet a Christian that you never met, met before and within minutes you felt like you knew them your whole life? What is that? That's the Holy Ghost in them testifying with the Holy Ghost in you and showing the oneness that we have in Christ. Come on. Now, I know that happens with other people and other weirdos, but that's flesh stuff. Oh, I met this guy. He's crazy just like me. Yeah, that Holy Ghost in you and that Holy Ghost in me makes us one, so it's one spirit. Now, the fact that <coughs> we have the Holy Spirit in us is you know, something that we need to revel in and we need to uh, celebrate. Why? Because it brings us a unity that only the Holy Spirit can establish. The Holy Spirit should, if he's in me and he's in you, then we should be on the same page, amen? We should be, have the same thoughts about missions and ministry and our worldview. Why? Because the Holy Spirit should shape that. You and I should be saying, you know what? We need to reach people. We need to preach the gospel. We need to send missionaries out. Is Charles here? Get him out of here. Send him back out there. Why? Because that's, what, that's what's on the Father's heart. Do you see how, you know, us having the Holy Spirit should put us on the same page about a lot of things? Yet we're so divided over so many things, so many things that we shouldn't be divided over. You say, Pastor, why is it that so many Christians are out in proverbial left field about things that they, they can't even agree on what's sin and what's not sin and, and how many genders there are and, you know, all of these crazy stuff and everybody's got an opinion in the church? Well, I'll give you two reasons why we're not on the same page. Number one, the destructive effects of bad teaching by unqualified individuals. People just want to teach whatever they want to teach, you know what? And if they're smooth enough in their speech, some people will listen to them. It's amazing to the amount of books that are out there that are Christian books that are unbiblical. Oh, I read this book and I read that book. You know what? Sometimes I want to say, bring all your books in. I'm going to throw them out. Read this. Read this, amen? There's so many opinions out there. You, you know what? I don't even want to get too deep in this. I got more points to go, but we've got to be grounded in the word and we've got to have that same spirit, but there's so much bad teaching out there. The word warns us over and over again. There's wolves out there teaching doctrines of devils in the last days. We're in the last days now. So there's a lot of destructive effects of bad teaching that even though people say, well, I'm a Christian and I got the Holy Spirit, they're not on the same page as the rest of the body of Christ. Why? Because they got a, a different teaching. And also, the second thing is the fact that many Christians just refuse to walk in the Spirit. If you're not walking in the Spirit, you're not going to think spiritual thoughts. You're not going to hear the, the, the spiritual things that come from God. You're not going to connect with the Father's heart. You can be a Christian and walk in the flesh. 
well, well, will you still be saved? Yeah, you can still be saved. Why? Because salvation is a free gift. But you know, you're going to be deaf, dumb, and blind as you walk on the earth. And you're going to be out of step with the Holy Spirit. Do you realize how much of the body of Christ is out of step with what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in the earth? It's no wonder we don't get too much done. And our nation is filled with sin. Our world is filled with sin. And the church doesn't even have much of a voice anymore to speak to it. They're like, ah, we don't want to hear what you guys to say. You're all divided up. We, you know, if we came in unity, we'd have a more powerful voice. So there's one body there's one spirit. We've got to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. If we're walking in the flesh, we're going to be out of step with the spirit. Number three, there's one hope of your calling. Let's take a look at this. You know, all of us have the call of God on our lives. Let me say that again for all the rest of you that just sort of looking at me. I heard a couple of yeses. All of us have the call of God on our lives. I love people come to me, oh, you know, this is my child. They have the call of God on your life. Yeah, okay, so does everybody. Now, not everybody's called to five-fold ministry, but all of us have the call of God on our lives. Because he didn't just make certain people to be fillers. Well, you, 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 your job is just to sit in church and listen to the people who I'm going to use preach. No, all of us got something to do. Are you getting this tonight? Well, I'm just called to be a pew potato, and I'll say, I'll say amen in the right spot. I'll raise my hands during worship. Now, you got to call a God on your life. You were made on purpose for something specific. So, yeah, all of us got a call. Not everybody's called to five-fold ministry. Thank God. Some of the rest of us got to go out there and do something for you know, in the highways, in the byways, in the office places, in the, in the malls, and in the workplace where, you know, the five-fold ministry, we're not even allowed in. They don't want us in the school. They don't want us in the workplace. They don't want us in the public square, right? But you can. So there's one hope of our calling. All of us are called. We're all called to do different things in different ways because we all have different gifts but the purpose of our calling is the same, to elevate Jesus, to bring glory to God, and to saturate this cold, dark world with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. <clears throat> so there's one hope of our calling. Now, we have to serve the purpose of our creator with our life. God made us with a purpose. We, he made us with intent. We should be submitted to the unique call of God on our lives. He intended our lives to produce something, some fruit, some result. And if we'll follow him and submit ourselves to him and tap into the call of God and submit to it, we're going to produce what he's called us to produce. You know, there's nothing more exciting in life than being used for what you were made to do. You know, it's like a forklift picking up a pallet of forks. That was the exact purpose of the invention of that machine. Come on, it's a joke. You were made on purpose to do something specific. It's a tough crowd tonight. 
So there's one hope of your calling. Tap into it. Uh, you know, at the end of our lives, there's going to be great joy for all of us who remain faithful to the call of God in our lives. You know, we don't get graded on, you know, how much of this or how much of that or how, you know, we get graded on whether the fact we did what God called us to do. And so if we're doing everything but what he called us to do, you know, yeah, like I said, we're still going to be saved, but, you know, there's not going to be much reward because it's a wasted life. There's going to be joy for those who are faithful. And unfortunately, there's going to be sadness for those who weren't faithful to the call of God and for those of us that could have done more, but we were busy doing other things. You know, my, my greatest fear is to stand before the Lord and, and him tell me, son, you know, this is what you could have done if you would have trusted me, if you would have had more faith, if you would have really laid your life down. Come on. Come on, Wednesday night. Hang in there with me. Joy for those who accept the call and walk the call out to the best of their ability. Sadness for those who refuse the call. And for whatever re reason, laziness or distraction or the flesh that we left uncrucified, we don't fulfill the call of God in our lives. So let's move on. There's one Lord. As the text moves on here, one body, one spirit, one hope of our calling. We move into a verse 5. And all of a sudden, in rapid succession, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Let's look at the fact that there's one Lord. Obviously, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the one spirit is the Holy Spirit. The one Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Amen. He's not just Lord of the Christians. He's not just Lord of the evangelicals. He's not just Lord of the Baptists. He's Lord of all. He's the head of the body of the church. Amen. So there's one Lord. There's no one besides him. There's no one who compares to him. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us, there is only one God, the Father from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Write down 1 Corinthians 8, 6 if you're taking notes and meditate on that scripture. It gives you a beautiful picture of the Godhead, the function of the Godhead, and how we fit in uh, to the plan of God by being part of the body of Christ. One God, one Lord, again, affirmed in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. You know, it's easy to make the mental assent that Jesus is Lord. A lot of people could say, hey, yeah, Jesus is Lord, or there's no one like Jesus. Yet, do you know, we could be Christians and we could believe in Jesus and yet we could live in a way that denies his lordship. Well, I'm a Christian. Are you living for Christ? But, well, no, but I believe. Are you going to church? No, but I said the prayer. There's one Lord. And the way some people live who say that Jesus is their Lord suggests something different. When we give ourselves over to sin, we deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. When we serve idols instead of the living God, we deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. When we love the world more than the kingdom of God, we deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. We could say we're Christian, but the proof is that we are fully submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ and that we don't love sin more than we love serving him we don't serve idols instead of him and we don't love this world more than his kingdom 
one Lord, let's move on, least no flesh would survive. One faith. What's a good working definition of faith? I'm going to give you the Billy Graham Foundation's definition of faith. Are you ready here? This is as plain, vanilla, simple, stripped down. It's beautiful. Faith simply means believing that something is true and then committing your life to it. Simple definition, good working definition. Faith is believing that something is true and then committing your life to it. Now, in the Bible, faith means believing in God and in what Christ has done to save us and then committing ourselves to him because we believe that. You understand, you can't have faith without commitment. Well, I believe Jesus is X, Y, and Z. Have you submitted your life to him? Have you received him as Lord? No, I wasn't shopping for a Lord. I just wanted a Savior. That's the flesh talking. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I just don't want to go to hell. That's the flesh talking. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. We've got to allow Jesus to be Lord. There's one Lord. We don't serve sin. We don't serve idols. Uh, We don't love the world more than the kingdom of God. So faith is believing and then committing ourselves to what we believe. It's a two-part definition here. Now, both parts are equally important. Belief is important and commitment is important. I've seen this before. I've seen people who are committed to Christian causes, but yet they weren't born again themselves. I've seen people on the mission field doing missions because they thought it was a great thing to do, yet they've never submitted themselves to Jesus as Savior and Lord. you got to have the faith and the commitment. Both of them are equally important, amen? So this one faith idea here is something we need to try and wrap our heads around. Now, by the definition we've given, it's a good definition, but I want to I point out something about this. Having faith in and of itself is not enough to save you. Oh, I got faith. I believe. I believe in spiritual stuff. I believe in theology. I believe in denominational things. I believe in, you know, I believe in church and community and da 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 I got faith. You know, faith is not enough to save us. We have to have faith in the right place. Many people have misplaced faith. That's why faith is not enough to save us. And and even they have faith, and then they have commitment with the faith. Listen to this. I want want to give you a hypothetical uh, to show that faith and even commitment is not enough to save us if it's in the wrong place. Does a radical Islamic terrorists believe in their cause they sure do in fact some of them are more committed than christians so uh, a radical islamic terrorist believes in his cause and they're willing to fully commit themselves to it some of them are willing to martyr themselves and blow themselves up for it they're again more committed than most christians we don't even like to blow up in church people just i don't want anybody to see me But, you know, so this terrorist here believes in their cause. They fully commit themselves to it. They're willing to martyr themselves for it, but their faith and their commitment is misplaced because it's in the wrong place and it doesn't lead to eternal life. Faith is not enough. Commitment is not enough. It must be in the lordship of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people who believe a lot of different things. 
there's a lot of people who are committed to a lot of different things. But only faith in Jesus and commitment to him will save your soul for eternity. All other things people put their faith in have three things in common. They're unstable, they're unfulfilling, and they're inadequate in the end. If you're taking notes, I'm going to say that again because it's important. All the other things people put their faith in have three things in common. They're unstable, they're unfulfilling, and in the end, they're woefully inadequate. Some people put their faith in wealth. And it might treat them good for a while until they lose their wealth or they lose their health or they lose their life. And then in the end, it's unfulfilling. Why? Because it can't save you and you fall into an eternity that's without Christ. It's unstable. Why? Because wealth can be here one day and gone the next day. Are you seeing what's going on in the world today as the world has been plunged into war and some of the economies are shrinking back? Nations are saying, ah, we're not paying our debts anymore. People who were massively rich, their wealth has dried up in a flash. Countries are confiscating goods from businesses that do business there. Come on, Christians, wake up. Get your head out of your phone and look around and find out what's going on in the world. Things are being fulfilled. Prophetic things are falling into place. We got to see what's going on here. But this proves the instability of wealth. Some people have faith in the world system. Oh, I don't know who has got faith in the world system at this point. Amen. You know, I had to take a loan to fill up my gas tank in my truck. I'm thinking of buying a horse. I got, I'm going to get a horse. I'm going to ride to church on a donkey. Faith in the world system? This world is a hot mess. You say, well, we can build back better. No, it ain't going to get better. It's going to get worse till Jesus comes back and, and rules and reigns, amen? But man is not going to put this mess back together. Some people have faith in people, which leads me to believe they don't know too many people. Have you ever met a people? Talk about a hot mess. Most of us, man, I, you know, like I see people that, you know, well, that, they're a role model. Man, I would never want, I would, don't leave. Keep your eyes on Jesus and don't pay attention to what I'm, you know, don't pay. No, listen, follow me as I follow Christ, Paul said, amen. There's that sense, amen, and that's okay. But, you know, people who think, well, I got it all together, you just, you just follow me. Where I step, you step. What I do, you do. I don't know too many people like that, but some people have faith in people. Oh, they're going to help me. They're going to see me through. They're going to help me succeed. They're going to pay my way. Yeesh. Some people have faith in false religious systems, and they're very sincere. You know, some of us, maybe when we were outside of a relationship with Christ and we were in a religious system and we thought, well, this is the, I mean, this is true and this is going to save me and only to find out we were lost and needed a Savior. Amen. Anybody ever wake up to that? All we had was religion, but we had a lot of rules and regulations and systems, and it looked spiritual, and it smelled like religion. Smelled like incense. Some people have faith in false religion and false theology, and to me, those who are religiously deceived are in the saddest shape of all, because how sad would it be to plunge into eternity and find out you've been deceived? and you disciplined yourself, and you abstained from things, and you, you were dutiful, 
all to no avail. Sad. There's one faith that will matter in eternity, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. Nobody in eternity is going to be bragging about the other things that they believed in. People aren't going to ask in heaven, how would you get here? We're going to know it was by the blood of Jesus, amen? So let's move on to one baptism. Now, this one's a bit interesting here. Look at one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I found this one interesting, and I'm going to dig into it a little bit here, mostly because we know there are a few baptisms mentioned in Scripture. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to mention four of them tonight. And we're going to look at them. For the first baptism I want to talk about is John's baptism. Remember this guy? His, his name was John the Baptist. And he baptized people. Amen? So John had a specific baptism. And it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism, listen, of repentance for the remission of sins. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance so that what? So that people could be cleansed from sin. John was out there in front. He was out there leading the way, preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. John was prepping the people to get ready. How? By bringing them to a place where, you know, they came to a place where they embraced repentance and they were looking for a savior. Right behind John was Jesus to offer salvation. Amen. But John had a baptism. He was a Baptist, and he baptized people uh, so that they would repent and that their sins could be forgiven. Then we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 1, 4 through 5, we see when the baptism of the Holy Spirit manifested itself on the day of Pentecost. It said, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, Jesus speaking here, but to wait for what the Father had promised which he said, you heard, of, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There is a baptism for repentance that John had, and there is a baptism that Jesus promised. It's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. That unleashing of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost happened in the upper room. And what happened? The Holy Spirit rested on individuals. See, before this, the Holy Spirit only touched people at certain times so they could do something specific for God. The, 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 the Holy Spirit would come upon the judges, Gideon, Samson, and they would do great exploits for God. But then the Holy Spirit was taken away. But in the New Testament, because Jesus died and rose and the veil is torn in two, now we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And now the, the, the baptism that comes along with that proves that we belong to God. Why? Because we're filled with the Holy Spirit and there's evidences associated with being baptized in the Holy Ghost. So there's John's baptism. There's this baptism in the Holy Spirit. And also there is a mention of a baptism with fire. In Matthew 3.11 and Luke 3.16, John the Baptist mentions the baptism with fire. It's kind of a little side note here, but it's an interesting thing that we need to look at. It says here in Luke 3.16, uh, all 3.16s are good. John responded to them saying, as for me, I baptize you with water, but he is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Did you hear that? The Holy Spirit 
and fire. There's been a lot of speculation by Bible teachers and expositors about what the baptism in fire is and the, the, the most common agreement we can get. It's, it's a baptism with the zeal of God that gets us excited about doing kingdom things. Did you see once the Holy Ghost fell on the disciples in the upper room, they were no longer timid, they were no longer shy, they were no longer, Peter wasn't out there denying Jesus, I don't know him. No, all of a sudden they were bold, amen? What was that? That was the Holy Ghost and fire, amen? There's a baptism of zeal, of power, of excitement, of fearlessness. The righteous are bold as lions, but the wicked flee when no man pursues, amen? Man, some of you need it. You look like bumps out there. You're not... Oh, Lord, let the fire fall, amen? Let the fire fall, amen? Woo! That the things of the world would grow strangely dim and we'd be excited about the things of God. Could you imagine if we would catch on fire? Could you imagine if we would let the Holy Spirit energize us and excite us and get busy about doing the Lord's business? Amen. Amen. Woo. Not only I got to go to church Sunday already, we need some fire. Well, there's one more baptism I want to talk to you about, and it's the one that Jesus and uh, it's a baptism that has to do with being baptized in Jesus, and it's really the one that this text is talking about. It's the baptism in Jesus' name, Matthew 16, 15. And he said to them, uh, he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, 16 says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that does not believe shall be damned. Acts 2, 38, here it is. I love the book of Acts. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So this baptism is the baptism in Jesus' name, amen? It's a baptism that comes after belief. It's a believer's baptism. It's a baptism that energizes us to do the work of the ministry. It's in Jesus' name, and it is for the remission of sins, and it is the, second, it's the first step of obedience after salvation. Believe and be baptized, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. There's the common pattern of the New Testament right there. And this is what the text is talking about when it says there's one baptism. Well, well, what should I be baptized? You should be baptized in Jesus' name. You should be baptized after you believe in Jesus' name and you're saved. It's the first step. And then after you're baptized, you should look for the filling of the Holy Spirit to empower you to do the work of the ministry because you got to call a God on your life. Number seven, the last one, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Christianity is what theologians call a monotheistic religion. That simply means we believe and serve one God. Some people of other faiths have erroneously accused Christians of being polytheistic, believing more than one God. Polytheism is very heavily associated with paganism, and they say, well, you believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You believe in three gods. What do we have for them, Johnny? Nothing, because that's wrong. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God who is expressed in three divine persons, amen? There's one God, and he's 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You say, that doesn't make sense. The Trinity is a mystery. With our two-circuit flesh brains, we can't understand some of the mysteries of God. Amen? But two seconds in the presence of God, when we leave this earth suit behind, and we're going to understand things that we just can't understand now. But the truth is, we serve one God. And the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. They are three divine persons with one divine nature. Now, this text reminds me that God is a specific kind of father. Listen to the text again. Our God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Our heavenly father is a loving father. God wants us to know that he's over all of us. He's in all of us. He's surrounding all of us. Why? Because he loves us and he's concerned for us. Our Heavenly Father is not aloof. He's not disconnected. I don't know what kind of father you grew up. He's not judgmental. He's not pushy, bossy, nasty. He's not grouchy. Oh, he shows wrath sometimes when we're sinful and stubborn and disobedient, but he's not the divine grouch. He's a loving father, and he is intimate with all of us because he loves all of us. You know, I want to say something as a side note. The text isn't suggesting that God is everyone's father. He's only the father of those who are his children. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He said, your father is the devil. Ah! If you've been coming on Sunday, you've heard me talk about it. Because in Matthew 12, all Jesus does is he, he has conflict with religious people. And these people are like, Abraham is our father. Jesus is like, Psst, Abraham. Yeah, he said that, psst, Abraham. Your father's the devil. You act just like him. He was a liar and a thief from the beginning. Wow. So God isn't everybody's father. Oh, God is all of our father, and all roads lead to God, and kumbaya. And That's not what the Bible teaches. God is the father of those who are his children, and those who are his children are those who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he offers Jesus Christ to whosoever call upon the name of the Lord. It's not an exclusive club, but you can't get in the club without Jesus, amen? So I want you to know, uh, one God and Father of all who is over all, he is over all of us, he's through all of us, expressing himself, and he's in all of us by the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful picture of the Father's heart towards his creation. And that concludes the seven ones. And I hope that when you heard each one of the seven ones, it, it just solidified something in your heart to realize as the body of Christ, we should be unified, amen? We shouldn't be fragmented. We shouldn't be split up and broken up into denominations. We shouldn't divide ourselves over fleshly, earthly things, but we should find unity in the fact that we are one in Jesus' name. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the word. I thank you uh, for this section in Ephesians here that we've been enjoying, Lord, I pray that as you continue to unfold the word for us, Lord God, that you would quicken our minds and our hearts and our spirits, that our understanding would increase and that you would bring us to maturity. Father, that we would understand we're not to be independent or disconnected or uh, rebellious toward uh, the plan of God and the unique call of God, that all of us have a call in our lives. We were made for a purpose, 
Father, I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice that, that says, I, I don't know what my purpose is. I, I feel like I'm an accident. Maybe you were told you were an accident. There are no accidents. God birthed you, and God chose you, and God gifted you and called you and made you unique, and you are the apple of his eye. So, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that each of us would do our part to maintain unity and that we would rest in the seven ones here that galvanize us together as the body of Christ. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight. <laughs>